out of the park baseball is already the best baseball simulator out there and it's gotten even better with the release of their new perfect team mode perfect team is their foray into the ultimate team card collecting modes that have revolutionized the online experience for sports games if you already have ootp 19 then you have perfect team just go to the home page and click perfect team on the right hand side and you'll begin with your six starter packs to build the team. And from there, you can choose to open more packs or dive into the robust auction house and use perfect points to craft the team that you want. The depth of players is truly amazing with a card for every player present on an MLB roster, as well as legendary throwbacks like Babe Ruth, Walter Johnson, Cy Young, like Daryl Strawberry, Larry Walker, Manny Ramirez, all the way down to novelty players like Bob Euchre and Snuffy Sternweiss. That's right. I said Snuffy Sternweiss. That's a real player. Once you have your team, you build your lineups, you build your rotation, you pick the strategy that you want. You want to run a small ball team. You want to be a full sabermetrician. You want to be somewhere in between. You want to run an unorthodox. You can choose you know, how often that you're stealing, how often you're using shifts, the slowness or quickness of the hook for pitchers and relievers. A lot of detail there that you can set for the team and how it will run during the simulations. Uh, and once you set all that, you submit your team and the game simulates outcomes every 30 minutes from 9 a.m. to midnight central. Seasons run from Monday to Sunday with every day of the week covering a month and then Sundays covering the playoffs. Will you make the playoffs and be promoted to the next level or finish with one of the worst records in the league and possibly face relegation down to a previous level? Download the game for just $20 at ootpdevelopments.com and use code SLEEPER19 for a 10% discount at checkout. That's ootpdevelopments.com. Episode 635 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It is Tuesday, January 29th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I'm joined not only by Justin Mason, but a special guest, Mr. Joe Pizapia. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing today? Living the dream, baby. I'm, I'm, I might be dying. I'm, I'm, I got this flu thing because my kids were all sick, and that's what happens. Your kids get sick, and then you get sick. And then, you know, when you're when you're a parent, like, you're not allowed to be sick. You still have to, like, get up and make everybody breakfast and mm-hmm. get everyone off to school. So... Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it sucks. When you're a kid, you can stay home and watch cartoons, and it's great. When you're an adult, it just being sick is just uh, a hindrance. It's crap. Price is Right was was what I was oh, yeah. excited to watch. 100%. And Dukes of Hazard repeats would come on at, at 1 o'clock. Um, in the, you know, and wow, I'm you older. Guys are old. Yeah, I'm yeah, older. They yeah, didn't yeah. have, yeah, I couldn't just, I, we did have a videotape, but I'm not out here being able to control the VCR as a, uh, as a you know, ten-year-old, so I don't really get to say, "Yo, Dad, uh, I erased your episodes of Mash so I could record Dukes of Hazard." Oh, so staying nice. home sick was uh, was what allowed me to to watch Price is Right and Dukes of Hazard. That's what I looked forward to. Price and is Right is a classic. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's it's, a classic. It's a classic. Stay home sick, Justin. You're also sick, yeah. Yeah, I'm sick as well, and believe it or not, it is not from the conversation I had with my daughter. On the, over oh my the god. You guys got to check Justin's Twitter. I'm not even going to say anything about it other than just go check his Twitter um, yes. because it's fantastic. It's just a conversation you would have with a daughter 
Orson about certain something mm. at a certain point that everything it has to happen with every family, and he had it and he live tweeted it. It yes. was brilliant. Th- thankfully to my wife, she allowed me to live tweet it because if you don't laugh, sometimes you cry. Yeah, yeah. that's absolutely true. Exactly, exactly. Well, we've got a lot of talk. Got a lot to talk about per usual here. Uh, we're really going to focus on the Black Book, which is why we're having Joe on. I write with the Black Book. I did the pictures again this year. I appreciate you having me as part of it. Um, but we're also going to get into a little bit of news. And I want to talk about something at the outset here. I thought you were going to say that you were sick, not from that conversation and not from the weather, not from your your newborn baby, but from perhaps your chat. Justin, that, uh, that that gave you a little flack on the heels of our shortstop chatter. Looks like some of your comments, predictably, I'm sure, uh, about a few guys kind of ruffled some feathers. It seemed to really focus on Correa, Seager, and then did the, the Correa de Young thing get into the mix at all? Yeah, yeah. It was pretty much everybody hating me for what I said on our last episode when we did the shortstop preview, which... I understand. I, I hope that I uh, at least expressed my views well enough where people understand where I'm coming from because I'm not backing off of it. I, I, I stand by what I said and what I believe 100%. Uh, that being said, uh, I, I did not realize that people were so attached. I didn't realize that Carlos Correa and Corey Seager had so many family members that listened to the podcast. <laughs> so... Let's let's uh, refresh for Joe here. So basically what happened, we did our shortstop preview, and there was a lot of uh, chatter around Carlos Correa going at, at, at 51 there about why why go for him when there are other options available. Corey Seager is one that uh, is just 30 picks later, so two rounds later you get him, and I don't really see much of a difference between those two. I actually really like the Corey Seager price. Justin still wasn't super hot on that. But one I think that really triggered folks was the notion that you look if you take away the names and just kind of look at the stats what's really been the difference not what is the difference there's still a talent gap probably uh that is that could be substantial between Carlos Correa and Paul DeYoung just looking at the last 2 years even 7 was great for Correa but it was great for DeYoung too 44 homers 123 ribbies 100 or 133 ribbies 123 runs for DeYoung hitting 263 39 homers 149 142 and 278 for credit. So he has advantages everywhere but the homers, but he's also 140 picks more. And I think that was kind of Justin's point was that you're kind of replicating what we've gotten out of Correa 140 picks later. Now, again, I I, I broke away from him on the Seager. I'll put hate in quotes because they don't really think he hated him. He still just didn't really like him. I think at 81, 82, that's finally a good price for Seager, and I'm in on buying his talent. But how do you feel about this little uh, trio here, Correa, Seager, and DeYoung, and and bypassing Correa for one of the other two? Well, I understand people's frustrations with Carlos Correa, but if you don't watch Carlos Correa play and recognize that he's a special talent, I mean, this guy, everything looks easy when he does it. And I remember when he was first drafted number one overall, uh, you know, I don't like the whole can't miss thing. I always think that's a that's fallible. It's, un- but it's unfair to put on players, it's, you know, and, and a bit unfair. But to me, he was the easiest player I had seen personally since Alex Rodriguez, where everything just looks so easy to that kid. And I think that uh, what happens is, too, I mean, I remember Anthony Rendon not that long ago where a couple injured seasons, people started to give up. They started to cash in, started not, you know, forgetting just how highly regarded and highly touted he was. Mm-hmm. And they had just been patient and realized, well, he's still young. Don't check out yet. And I remember so many people were out on Rendon and, and eventually the price went way too far and I bought everywhere. And that was 
the big rebound season. And ever since, he's been a very reliable player. Now, I look at Carlos Correa as, as a guy that just a year ago, people were buying in off the 2017 as a potential, obviously, you know, maybe even top five talent when all said and done. Like, there was that potential there. I definitely agree that if you're looking around, especially this year in snake drafts, and you don't want to play the Correa price, that Corey Seager is a pretty good pivot because I don't think there's that much of a gap right now. I understand both have injury issues. I think last year was a year where you kind of crumple it up and throw it away for Correa. I just think he was never healthy. Mm-hmm. And when you go back and you see at age 22 what he's doing in 2017, it's stunning. And I know it's only 109 games, but it is a stunning number. And he is just 24. So the Paul DeYoung thing, the problem I have there is I get that in auctions. I, get, I think that's a perfectly good pivot because I think it's easier in a lot of ways to come back from a bad pick in a snake draft than it is a bad pick in an auction. Because what happens okay. is when you invest in a player in an auction and they and they backfire and you've already committed a fair amount of budget, it has a ripple effect all around your roster. Whereas it's one round, you isolate it, it didn't work out, okay, I have other rounds where I can make that up and we're all on the same page. But all of a sudden, if I spend $10, $15, it's going to affect not just one other pick maybe, it's going to affect three, four, five other picks on my roster. And I think that's where I think the young argument in auctions comes more into play than in snake drafts. Well, it can really have a... a- an effect though if you have roster uh cap limits in season two if you put 25 30 dollars on a guy that doesn't work out and then moving him or kind of maneuvering around him can be difficult at times Uh, i've run into some issues at times because we have a cap and every free agent costs a minimum of ten dollars if when you when you fab them so then all of a sudden you're kind of trying to finagle things it can be difficult justin i want to pin down a little bit more because People here, you know, the Correa, the young thing. You acknowledge, I I hope, or, or maybe not, that there's a severe talent gap, though, right? For sure. I, I, Correa I, if, and if we're talking about like a pure baseball talent or even pure fancy baseball talent. Like if I was playing on MLB The Show or if I was the manager, uh, of course I want Correa over uh, DeYoung. I mean, that's not a question. But like go even look at the projection systems because the projection systems this year – all have pretty much, except for Steamer, all have Correa at 600 plate appearances or more. And then go look at the ones for DeYoung. They all have him ex- except, or well, two of the th- uh, two of the four have him at over 600 plate appearances. The other two have him about 550. The stat lines aren't that different. Yeah, the real difference is the average. So yes. if you but is 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 20 is 15 to 20 points of average worth 100-something picks. 140 picks. That I think that's really the question here. And, you know, with DeYoung, there was some improvement in his plate skills. They were brutal in 17. He kind of just hit through them, really, because everything he put the ball on, uh, put the bat on, seemed to be a 95-plus mile-per-hour uh, hit, or, or, or even if it was an out, it was laced. And so he just kind of hit through the 28%, 5% strikeout-walk ratios to 25 and 7 last year you know small improvements really improved his defense too which i think establishes paul de young's playing time yeah i again i correa has the higher ceiling right he can go off he can take 2017 extrapolated over 150 games and maybe he's super healthy this year and starts to run again and runs you know eight to 12 bases and then all of a sudden he's a super dynamic player i think we all understand that the path to upside there for him is is richer than de young but if you're kind of working in in more of the median projections 
and and not just thinking about the the rawest of upside. 140 pick difference is so severe, and I, I think that that it was eye opening, right, when you said it, because like I said, just looking at the last two years together, including the 17 for Correa, which was incredible, they're not that far off. You're talking 19 runs, um, 16 stone. No, no, no. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, yeah, 19 runs. Sorry, math's hard. <laughs> 16 <laughs> RBIs and uh, 14 points of batting average, but then a five homer advantage for DeYoung. And so all of a sudden, it's just it's just not that far. And well, I think th- there's what some it really does there too, though, with DeYoung, where you know he had 198 against lefties last year, and that that's a number that always concerns me because you mentioned the defense is good, but if you don't hit lefties, then that is going to start eating into your playing time. And uh, eventually, if if you're that dreadful. That's that's one of those spots where, you know, maybe that does come around to haunt him a little bit. And uh, it's it's a it's a fascinating discussion. And I think I definitely see all points of view on it. Personally, I, I totally get not wanting to pay the Correa price or liking the Seager one a little bit more. Hate, but for, for, I don't I don't get the Seager hate either. And it's I, all but isn't injury. it crazy? It's all injury. It's all injury. But it's also what I and it's not I don't hate, understand how people I'm, forget I'm it away from it. But I people just think it's they, in the price at eighty-two. But people love these guys, and then they there's when a young player has a great year, everybody overrates them, and then Correct. either they don't live up to the hype or they have an injury plague season, and then next thing you know, it's like they're they're dead to me. And there's got to be a happy medium, or when they there's don't do anything, they're they're like before they come up, they're God's gift to baseball, right? And then and then they don't do they don't hit the ground running immediately. And they're the worst player that's ever existed. Again, I'm not saying that like, that's what at, Justin's at, doing here. Look at Seeger's like projections again. It's, it's the same thing. It's you, they, everybody except for the ATC has Seeger projected for 600 plus and really 630 plus plate appearances. And how, I mean, outs again outside of the average, how different is that line than DeYoung's? It's not. DeYoung's actually better if you don't if you're not including the average. Okay, but average does matter. Sure, and, average and matters. That's, but that's I, the driving is... factor for Corey Seager specifically, and he has to play, right? We did mm-hmm. talk about that on the preview, that if he's only getting 400 plate appearances, he's undercutting his primary value, which is to give you a high-volume, high-quality batting average. That's for what sure. you really want out of Seager because we haven't seen 30 homers. We haven't even seen 80 ribbies. 77 is his high. Uh, we have seen 100 runs, 105 and 85, so runs uh, at the top of that steal. order. He's going to continue to to score runs, but he doesn't steal. I, yeah. So, you know, but I do think with, with the injury concern, that that is where the discount comes in. I don't know. It's almost double counting it to see him at 82 ADP and ding him for the for the. OK, injury. well, then let me ask you guys this question. If you could guarantee that he was going to get 600 plate appearances, where would you take him? Uh, like 40th. Joe, uh, for what? The Young? Is that what you're saying? For Seager. So you would take uh, him over Bogarts? He's right there. Yeah, I think Bogart, they, I think Bogart's they're my boy. I think that's that's the problem. Is I think you're you're talking about guys like Correa, guys like Seager, guys like Bogarts, who are practically the same stat line right now. I don't think anybody's really had a consistent enough run where you could say there's a clear favorite in that group. I think they're all very tight, and this is what relative position value does in the Blackwood and RPV. It keeps them all very tight and. Those guys are pretty tight in the book. I mean, it, there's not that much. I mean, there's only a couple percentage points between them. And I yeah. think that's the difference because if if all things are equal and, and basically they are here, 
then you would obviously take the one that comes cheaper. And I think that's something that you, you have to take into effect because how what how much of an advantage is there to go out on a limb unless you really truly believe Carlos Correa is the guy that's going to step up and be an MVP type. Out of all these guys we're talking about, Carlos Correa has the ability, I think, to be an MVP type player. I, I, I think will, Bogarts does too. I, I'm not I see I just I don't, I don't think that's think impossible. That in terms I really of don't fantasy, at least in Roto. Correa is not going to steal enough to be a first-round player again. He just doesn't run. You know, he hits in the middle of the lineup. He, they're not letting him run. The, the Astros as a whole aren't really running outside of Altuve. So, like, where do we think this added value that pushes up Correa is coming from? It would have to be it's, it's like, a, like a 310-35-120 kind of season. Yeah, it, if, but if, it's if name value. At the, at the end of the day, in the time, like I said on the last the podcast where we discussed this, uh, it, in the time that Correa has been hurt and struggling with injuries, other shortstops have emerged. The shortstop pool is so much deeper than it ever has been. You've got five category uh, contributors in the top six, top seven uh, guys in ADP, or even top eight if you want to include Bogarts. Uh, I mean, this is this is the game has passed him by in terms of the fantasy game. Now, like you said, true talent. I'll take his true talent over a lot of those guys, but that's the difference between baseball and fantasy. And and let me also throw the last caveat, too, is let's talk a little bit more about format, too. Because mm-hmm. if you're just playing season-long Roto, I think that the young argument holds a little bit more water. If you're talking about any head-to-head, whether it be Roto categories, which I'm not a fan of, or or points. Points, yeah. When you're talking that, you, know, you look at some of the, the months here De, where DeYoung's going, one home run, five RBI, one home run, seven RBI. He's hitting 220 those months. One month is hitting 202. It's that the, the incredible volatility there yeah. of him statistically where he is a negative for a big chunk of time for very long streaks, and that will kill you. Mm-hmm. And I don't, see Corre- I don't see Correa having that, and I certainly don't see Corey Seager. Seager might not have the same ceiling potentially as Carlos Correa, but I think – the one thing that Seager has going for him over all these guys is a little bit more potential consistency on a weekly basis. And I think that's something to understand. It's it's you know, we can't paint everything with a wide brush. It's got to be very league specific when we're talking about players and value. Well, yeah, and I, he's, th- I mean, what they will have is the month of June on the DL, but then at least you can replace them. That's true. And. Yeah, because when one players are out, and that's still something that's difficult to bake in. And of course, in a ten teamer, it's it's less of a pain than if I'm in a fifteen teamer, and so that comes into it with the injury risk, et cetera, et cetera. So obviously, there's a lot of considerations here. I just want to go a little deeper, get some of Joe's thoughts there. I thought it was an interesting conversation, and there's always these conversations on name value. And of course, just looking at the past two years doesn't mean that that's what they're going to be. And we all understand that that Correa and Seager have. Uh, more raw talent, I think, than than uh, yeah, than no, Paul DeYoung. No one is saying that right. that DeYoung is a more talented athlete, more talented baseball player. That I I would take Seager and Correa on my Giants team any day of the week over Paul DeYoung. Uh, <laughs> you know, this, and this isn't Dodgers hate, as some people uh, um, have pointed out, or, it, as, yeah. as Andrew uh, Perpetua pointed out that. Uh, it's not the fact that I can't pronounce Paul DeYoung's name properly. Uh, <laughs> Paul DeJong. Paul DeJong. I like the DeJong. It yeah. sounds so much better. Paul DeJong. I don't yeah. know. I like it. It's, it's I, French, I was trying yeah. to use Anthony Rendon as a cautionary tale for this Korea conversation. I just went back to look at his stats. And, you know, it, it's a, it's, it lines up perfectly. You know, you had the little bit of him in 2013 where he had like half a season. Then you had the great year 
where he was 21-83 with 17 steals, and then yeah. 2015 happened, where he played 80 games and he stunk. He, he five home runs, he was terribly fell apart. Everybody was, nope, I'm never touching the guy. And then the next three seasons, what has he done? He's basically averaging 23 home runs and 90 RBI and somewhere around eight steals. So Yeah, I, uh, I got to <laughs> agree with you on that one because uh, Rendon was somebody I stayed the course with and just believed in the talent. Well, and I think that's, really that's what I'm trying to get people of- to say about Correa. And yep. people are really scared of his history at Rice. I mean, people forget that he was supposed to be the number one overall draft pick, and he fell of because yeah. of the health at Rice. He so. a- absolutely did. That's a, that's a great point um, with, with Anthony Rendon. But I, I think that would maybe – would that open your eyes a little bit more on the injury concerns than Justin, because you are so worried about Correa – and Seager's concerns, and we've seen some work from our own Jeff Zimmerman saying that the injury proneness and stuff like that can be a little bit overrated, particularly if it's not chronic injuries. And and so then maybe you shouldn't hold it so much against guys, depending. Now, Correa's price, he hasn't really had the discount. If he was closer to Seager, I wonder how this conversation would go. But I do think Rendon is a great case to look at and say, you know what? If I've always believed in Correa, maybe I should continue to do so. Same with Seager. Don't push away from them uh, because of these these lost seasons to health. I mean, Seager's going to be 25. Correa's going to be 24. Uh, Rendon was I, even a little bit older during that transition when he was right. going from a, into his age 26 season. So there's still a lot of time with these guys. I think I push away a little bit more with Seager than Correa. Uh, just the amount of injuries that Seager's yeah. had really scare me. I mean, they both have, both have had back injuries, which – you know, if you've ever had a back injury, I don't care what age you the are, worst. It, they, they can be awful. There's nothing you can do. Uh, surgeries don't work. Nope. Uh, it just it, it, it can be a nightmare. And so, like, both of those things are scary. For me, Seeger has had so many injuries. I mean, I think he dealt with a back, hip, and then got Tommy John last yes. season. And he was a guy who was always projected to have to move over to third base because they didn't think the body would hold up at shortstop. So uh, that's a much scarier to me than maybe Correa, who likes it, is 24. Uh, maybe this is just a matter of he's learning how to be a professional athlete and keep his body in shape at a young age. Uh, he seems to be okay. And, and, you know, I may warm a little bit to them as we see them in spring training, and I go, oh, man, Correa looks good, or, oh, Seager looks really healthy. But if I'm doing an early draft right now, I'm staying away from all of them. Well, see, that's where you're gonna get the discounts, though, is if you get but in now. A, but I mean, Seager is a little bit of a discount. I will Seager's give you that. absolutely a discount. Seager's a discount. Eight, I've what? already taken advantage of that in a few leagues already. But Correa is not a discount. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, hey, he's he, a bit. He's honestly, going first, second round for a while, so it's discount comparatively. Compared but I, to last I, well, year, I, 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 I asked, I asked you about Seager. Where, if you knew Correa was going to play, uh, do 600 plate appearances. Where would I'm putting you take him in. It, it, it's Bogarts, Correa, and and Seager all around. That's where Correa's already going. I understand. You, no, you, that's a good point. It'd be ten picks higher, basically, than he's already going. So you're already paying pretty much for that. That's why I like Seager. That's why I, I gave you the most pushback on Seager. I actually kind of got in on your uh, De Young, Correa thing. Like it, it made it made some sense there again because, you know, with where you would take Correa, you're getting some sort of batting average guy to kind of cover, right? It's 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 not just, uh, oh, you're giving up that batting average. You can't make it up elsewhere. Anyway, going in circles a little bit here. Let's move on. That was a great talk there. I do want to talk about uh, the Whit Merrifield extension. I don't really care about the dollars, although I will point out that it was a hell of a deal for the Royals. And that's just 
it, it's it's still kind of crazy. Uh, we talk about fantasy baseball's ageism. There's there's ageism in, in real baseball right now too, particularly on the free agent market. This wasn't a free agent play, but it is a a homegrown guy who was a very late bloomer. Uh, really didn't break out till a half season at age 27, and then two fantastic seasons the last two years. Really a, a big breakout for the Royals last year. It was a fantasy breakout in 2017 because the one uh, I think it was like a 108 WRC plus. Uh, 105 in 2017. So we were more interested in fantasy than maybe the Royals were, but then he went to 120 last year. So he really had a fantastic year. And this kind of, I think, parallels interestingly with what Joe was talking about with somebody like DeYoung in head-to-head. Whit Merrifield's like that steady Eddie. That's that kind of guy that you put in and you really feel like that floor, you know, it isn't really going to bounce around so much. You're going to get contributions every month in some form or fashion. Maybe it's a four homer month this time but then it's seven homers on the month that he only hits one home run the batting average is pretty consistent Whit Merrifield has really turned himself into a hell of a player he led baseball in steals last year he led the AL in 2017 uh, he also led baseball in hits with 192 um, so Joe let me start with you on Whit Merrifield going into his age 30 season how do you value how do you value what he's doing here? Is this something that you're buying in on? Are you are you worried about the age? And and then how does he compare to his own teammate there, uh, Aldebert Domondesi, who uh, he's not going that much higher than despite the lengthier track record from for Merrifield? Well, I really like Merrifield. I was a guy that actually happened to own a lot of him on the waiver wire two years ago, and it was a great run, man. It was magic, and you got to love when that happens. And I was waiting for the bottom to drop out like everybody else, but – Apparently, back in 2016, at the end of that year, he had really made some adjustments to some of the things he did in his swing. And and that happens. Every now and then you get a player who has ability, has talent, and they make this one adjustment and it clicks and it sustains. More and, and more these days, right? Because more, of the stat cast, the video analysis, I think that's really fostered. I mean, I, I, I kind of I, I kind of shudder to think if Tony Gwynn was still alive and playing, uh, what, what he could do with all the— gotten better? I mean, could you imagine? He probably would have hit 400 many times. I mean, <laughs> I, I can't imagine. Fair. It's it's not even fair, but you, you look at a guy like Merrifield, and I think the reason why I definitely think he's for real too is you know when you see 192 hits, I mean that that's a number that you know that's no joke. That's a real guy who, like you said, every day is getting his hits every single day consistently. Every week he's producing for you, and I understand people were a little bummed because the home run total went down, but the double total went up. So you can make the argument that maybe there was a little bit of a gap there. Maybe you split the difference this year, you know, and and try to find something in the middle. I actually saw this deal. And I looked at it as I thought, wow, what an incredible move by them to now turn around and trade him because at 30 that, years old, yeah. he, by he the way, can now bring back and you, control. No, go ahead. I, didn't, I didn't say what it was. Um, I set it up and then didn't say 416 with a 2023 option for, for Whit Merrifield. And the option, I think, is like 10, and 10 mil more. So hell of a deal there. But yeah, I just want to set it up. He is now a very valuable asset for them to possibly flip. If particularly if their rebuild slows, they've done some good things. They've got some interesting parts, but they could flip them. Continue on Merrifield as a potential trade. Well, they just now. they just don't have a whole lot. I mean, I, look, they're still a very long ways away, especially in the pitching category for me. So Merrifield is a player who's 30. He's not going to be there ready to contribute three, four years from now. So the fact that you've locked him up here, the fact that you've bought out arbitration years and the fact that now that's a player who's in his prime, who's producing, who can help a batting order at the top of the order, a guy who's, you know, got a good on base percentage, a guy that can steal bases and, and make things happen. A guy very mm-hmm. consistent. I mean, you can, you can bring back some serious prospects now because this is a controllable 
player in his prime. The, the prime years are between 29 and 31. You're right there. So, I mean, this was a great move by the Royals, and I think that's going to solidify at some point. I mean, don't be shocked. I would be, I would be more surprised if he was on the Royals when we hit August 1st than if he wasn't because this all of a sudden makes him incredibly appealing because if you're going to move prospects, you're not just getting a player for a short term. You're getting a player who's controllable, who, who is going to be and productive and locked yeah. and loaded. If he has another season that isn't very much in line with 17 and 18, particularly 18, which was, of course, a bit better, uh, he would become very appealing. It is interesting because I do think this KC team has some interesting stuff going on with the lineup. Uh, and obviously he's part of that. Mondesi, uh, Ryan O'Hearn. They still have some post-type guys like Soler, Bonifacio, Brian Goodwin, Hunter Dozier who could come through. And then, of course, they've added some of that crazy speed with like uh, Billy Hamilton coming into the mix. Brett Phillips, interesting outfield piece. Uh, if he can kind of get his swing and miss in check. But you're right. They're far away on the pitching. Well, the pitching is just not they, there. They you know do that have ball. some guys on the come up, but they're, you know, Brady Singer, I think, was their pick last year. He's not He's not coming up this year. Um, I think Jackson Kowar is an interesting prospect, but he's out. You know, he's not Kyle coming Zimmer's for a while. Kyle a driveline, guys. Oh, my God. I, you know what? I I was so bought in on him. I'd love if that was a, a late rebound there, a late bloomer type. That'd be, Throwing that'd 100 be fun. with no pain. That, that'd, be, that'd be great. But they don't have a ton of pitching. That would be interesting. Justin, do you think that it's something they would entertain now to turn around and flip Merrifield on this deal because he would be more appealing locked up? I think you have, they have to think about it, right? I mean, I know that they targeted a lot of college arms and bats uh, in their last draft to kind of get guys who were going to be closer to the majors and maybe kind of turn around the team quicker than maybe people expect but this is a team that is a long ways of way uh and you know, well, I, I don't know i i think you guys I mean, are overstating just Central, how far that's exactly my main point was that going to be that yes the pitching they don't have a lot right there right now but if one of these guys does click what if brady singer does become kind of a phenom and he's up quickly to kind of head the rotation you do have a couple mid arms in in junis and keller you gotta you gotta find a couple more. And I, I admit, you know, it's 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 a, a process. But then building a bullpen is something you kind of do on the fly anyway. They've been good at building a bullpen. Yes. in Kansas City. I just think their offense is closer, and they still have pieces coming like Khalil Lee, Suli Matisse. So I think they I do feel have like a lot they're there. They're trying to win their fantasy league with all those stolen bases. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna trade the stolen bases in in uh, July to mm-hmm. to get power and win their league. Yeah, I think they are gonna win their fantasy. Well, but that, you know, they, they've you got to give them credit. I mean, they, if they realize that they're not gonna be the kind of organization that's always going. I mean, look how they won when they had that run last time. They had a bunch of guys who just did a lot of things right and they played good defense and they had a great bullpen and they went to the world series two years in a row so and they made the right decisions on the on the guys they didn't sign except for kane really and you can understand and i don't know what what they offered kane if they did offer or if he was just ready to go somewhere else and he ended up going back to where where it all started for him milwaukee but outside of that it, it was fine that they didn't sign Hosmer. In fact, that was really smart. You definitely didn't want them to do that if you're if you're a they fan of their team. And know. then Mustakis is the one that you're like, okay, the, that was surprising that they didn't that they didn't try to do that, particularly because of um, you know what he ended up signing for. Yeah. Right, he was he ended up being so cheap, and so that that one I was surprised. I thought they'd get one of them, and I was like, make well, him he, he did go he did well, go back to them. 
He went back, for, yeah. And then for the one, traded, but they didn't. Yeah. They didn't long term him. Yeah, I, I don't understand why people won't sign Mike. Like, like, does Mike Mustakis like have some sort of skeleton in his closet that major? Yeah, what does baseball he have to do? Like, I, I don't know, man. Um, but that guy's a winner. I mean, I'm sorry. You talk about intangible baseball qualities. He's, he's a winner a too. He's an bat. intense personality, man. Well, and they had a similar path with him as they did with Gordon, right? Where he was the phenom, he flopped pretty substantially and then broke out in his mid-20s and he's been a hell of a player since he had the one injury where i believe he ran into alex gordon right they, they collided i believe in chicago uh but you look over the since 15 he's got 1960 plate appearances of a 115 wrc plus for moustakis with uh 33 homers per 162 games and so you know he's been a heck of a player i, I it is surprising that they didn't lock him up they ended up getting him on the cheap there but uh the decisions they made weren't bad I am going to be intrigued to see if they do flip Merrifield here. I hadn't really thought about that till Joe brought it up, uh, how interesting that could be at, at, as a piece that is now locked in for 416 with a reasonable option, too, if he does happen to really take this breakout into something substantial and then all of a sudden you feel like the 10 mil as age 34 is still viable. He's almost looking like he could be a Ben Zobris type, you know, and, and kind of continue to move around the field and just be a consistent contributor for the next four or five years. So we'll see on that. Um, I do want to move on, though. Joe, I want to pin you down on, on some guesses here. It's, we're dragging on. It's kind of a pain in the butt at this point. I'm, I'm over it. <laughs> but I, I don't know your thoughts on this. Where are you seeing Harper and Machado going after all the, the dust has settled here? Which oh, we still don't know when it's going to settle, but I want to get your get your picks on it. I, I've made, I made a, a promise to myself in the Black Book after weeks and weeks that I just I won't talk about them anymore. It's because I'm so annoyed, and and I open the show, and and we do all the news, and every now and then I'll throw one out there as a joke, like there's a mystery team, Ooh, it's a mystery, Hooray, team. mystery team, I don't know who it is, and you know, uh, uh, look, I I'll 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 just stand by this until my dying day. I think Bryce Harper wants to be a Yankee. I think wow, you still I, think that's in the mix? Then. I I do. I, I I think that I think Bryce Harper is a little different than Manny Machado in the sense that Bryce Harper wants a ton of money. Bryce Harper also wants to win. Manny Machado just wants a ton of money, and I, I think that's I think that's a very simple way of looking at it. I think whoever gives Manny Machado, he'll go play in Chicago for the White Sox. He'll go play for the Padres. Whoever decides to give Manny Machado the most guaranteed money, Manny Machado is going to be very happy living out his days wherever that is. Mm-hmm. Bryce Harper, I think, is a little bit different of an animal. I think he's a super competitive guy, and I think that he's he's played himself into a weird spot because there's no denying the talent is 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 absolutely huge. But it hasn't always translated consistently, and I think that's where sure. the struggle is. And it's the struggle of, well, what what's the next 10 years going to be for Bryce Harper, and what kind of contract is that? And I feel like the reason why it's dragging on so long is Bryce Harper wants to be in a big-time city, and I don't think that's Philadelphia. I mean, no no, no disrespect to the Philly fans and everything, but I that's just don't Joe see. Joe Pisa, P-I-S-A, Hey, I lived in Philly. I lived in Philly. I went to school in Philly. Great, fun town. Eat, drink, and be merry there. I just don't see him going and saying, yeah, you know what? That's where I want to be. I, I, I feel like the Yankees are just laying in the weeds here. I think they've acquired a ton of middle infielders, which is a very clever, odd little thing that I've picked up on where I feel like the way to move Stanton to another team is to turn around and put him with one of those other big-time young middle infielders that you can you know, say. And I don't know if it's going to be a Torres or necessarily or, or if you're going to move uh, somebody else. But I, I think that – there's a possibility that they can find a way to move Stanton, and I think Harper's their guy. I really do. Wow. Okay. And then Machado, you're just saying wherever the money 
wherever the money goes. I think wherever I, the money is for him. I still feel like Philly gets one of them. So I and yeah, no, Philly's getting Harper. That that may be announced actually today. There were uh, a bunch. There of, are a bunch lots of, of grumblings. Yeah, people claiming their reports. No, nobody who has a blue check mark has yet to say it. But uh, this has been going on for a month now. It's uh, I, I, and that's why I don't I'm buy it. Over it. I'm, just, I'm, I'm not so buying. It. Maybe I'll be wrong. I don't know. But if I'm the Yankees and I've got Andahar and I can if I can move him and bring in Bryce Harper, and I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. I don't necessarily think it is. I just think Bryce Harper is trying to force his hand to a situation where he's going to play for a big time organization, or See, I think he wants to, to find to a way to go back to Washington. And I think Washington's the other place. Uh, Washington is the one I, I refuse to eliminate. I've also said, though, that until they're signed, I don't eliminate the Yankees on either. I just can't. And I know it doesn't add up for either right now because their outfield is stuffed. And as Joe mentioned, they brought in a ton of middle infielders to where you would believe that their infield is stuffed. I, I understand that. I just You're not going to get me to lay off the Yankees being a factor here until they're signed. I just can't because they're the Yankees. Law of broadcasting, he will be signed in about 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. The second that, that we're done, it'll right. be it'll be The show great. will come out and we'll all uh, look like um, idiots, and there you go. Yeah, exactly. Let's, uh, before we get into the black book, and this is not really fantasy, so we'll just be quick on it. This is our second straight dragging on offseason. If you remember last year, the chatter was, well, everyone's keeping the proverbial powder dry for this offseason. They want to have the money for these big boys coming out. And that proved to be bullshit because it's been another drag out and it's it's awful. And we're seeing that, um, you know, the top of the market, they're still going to get paid. No one's no one's crying poor for them or anything like that. But it's been an interesting dynamic that we're really seeing here. And, you know, the young guys don't get paid when they first come up. And now the the older guys aren't getting paid when they were kind of supposed to get paid for like back pay almost. And you understood that it was, yeah, you're you're overpaying a bit for what they've done. But that's just kind of the deal that kind of offset the fact that they were they won three MVPs while making six hundred thousand dollars. Where's the game going here uh, like this? Right now, Justin, is, is this a tenable situation? Is there going to be a work stoppage? What do these last two free agent periods tell you about the the state of the game, and, and do you have concerns? Well, let me answer your question by asking you a question. Will Fangraphs <laughs> That's the best way to answer that. a question, by asking another question. Yeah. Will Fangraphs continue to pay me in 2022 when there is no baseball? You know... I gotta get make sure I'm getting paid first, and then we'll have a little trickle down, and we'll okay. see what's left. Yeah, trickle down economy, uh, economics don't always work real well for the little guy. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think there has to be some sort of change. Uh, I got this question in my chat as well. Uh, someone asked me, and I, I said there needs to be a minimum salary cap. Like, yep. N- all of these teams can afford Bryce Harper. All of these teams can afford Manny yes. Machado. And the the magic of Major League Baseball organizations is they have convinced fans that they can't afford them. Yep. It's ridiculous. It's unbelievable. The teams that cry poor are mm-hmm. so full of crap. Oh, their I'm a revenues, Mets fan, so what should I say? The have gone up uh, four times since Alex Rodriguez signed that huge deal, yet very few players get contracts like that. You're barely what? getting to the 50% that they're owed, right? Because it's a 50-50 revenue or, or, or damn close to it. And it's, you know, some, something has to give. And I think what it really needs to be probably is uh, getting the younger guys paid earlier. 
and and we are seeing you know some big arm numbers and everything but even earlier than that they need to start getting paid and and then and then you can justify not paying them for past performance when they become free agents at age 30 i'm i'm like i understand that it's the smart move but it's also markedly unfair because you didn't get but you didn't Harper's have to pay them 26 oh like, yeah yeah harper just, harper right. and machado are completely this is different like stories. straight up collusion at this well, point it's it's there's yeah. no reason why and neither of these guys have not been giving eight to ten year deals that completely you know overshadowed deals we've seen before in fairness harper what harper was offered 10 and 300 according to and he should have been offered more I, I'm just saying 10, 300. Well, I think there's a PR thing from some of these too, where, where people are like, well, is he worth this? Is this guy worth that? And that's all, like you said, it's kind of ridiculous. But I think the problem with owners have right now is there was a good piece a couple weeks ago on NBC sports. Somebody did a piece about, you know, major league baseball revenues are up a great deal, but it's not mm -hmm. from attendance and other things. It's from sponsorship Correct. deals and other stuff. So the stream of money that's coming in is not because they're growing the product with a new fan base. It's because, they're growing the product in terms of corporate relationships, and that's a very tricky thing. And I, I, I do believe we're headed towards a salary cap in baseball, both the minimum and the maximum. And I think that will help things along. And I, and I, I, I hate to see another, you know, any sort of labor issue, lockout or strike or anything like that. I would hate to see that, but it's hard not to think that that's going to come to something like that because. You're right. When it's guys in their 30s, I can understand not wanting to give them $80 million. I get it. But this was the year where you had two prime players who were in their prime and you're going to pay for their best paid. years. Yep. Right. They were going to get paid. And and maybe it's just who's going to blink first. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's also one of those weird things where teams like the Yankees and Red Sox really didn't need to go after these players. And that's what slowed the market. And well, then the Red Sox players, are just completely quiet on this, right? They, they right. have no use but how, for how many times? Right how many times in our lifetime have the Yankees and Red Sox both been quiet on a player I know. of this magnitude? It's never happened. So if those teams aren't driving the bus, I think for some of those players, they're looking around and like, wow, do I want to play for the Phillies? Do I want well, to play for the – It's problematic that one of those two – that you have an issue then if one of those two has to be in – to to drive him well, to the you, I mean, price that they need to be. Four of like the top six payrolls in baseball not competing for these players. The Giants aren't competing. The Dodgers aren't competing. The Yankees aren't competing, and the right. Red Sox. I mean, you've got such big uh, payrolls that are sitting this out, and it, it makes little to no sense. Because, like I said before, every team can afford these guys. They're making enough money. You've got teams who are getting assistance from revenue sharing. Mm -hmm. And pocketing it. Yeah, and pocketing Profit. it. They're not doing anything with it, and it's a travesty. I agree. I completely agree on that. Anyway, I said we won't go too long on that because we could probably do a four-hour between the three of us <laughs> on the uh, the state of the game. And I think, Joe, the best point you brought up there was about how you can't just – and I've, done, I've been guilty of it. In fact, we just talked about this on stream yesterday um, on my Twitch stream about – don't just point to the $10 billion and say the game's fine because it's not fine no. because of where they're getting that money from. They are losing fan base. I think they're still like percentage points more popular than basketball, but basketball is coming like a bullet and might have even passed them on the latest poll. You know, the, the like most popular sports is football. Uh, I think NBA, certainly with a youth fan base, they've got a much bigger one. Baseball needs to figure it out. They need to market their stars better. They do a lot of things wrong. And, you know, the players I'd love to be great. on the special we do about that. Like if you do that, I would love to be on that because I have I have a brainchild about how to fix baseball that I think would really change the perspective of a lot of people. Let's and book it, then. Wait, let's book yeah. it. Because let's I, I don't understand. We'll do it. I don't understand how a sport like football 
can market their players when they keep their faces covered the entire you can't see game. Them. Yeah, but baseball can't seem to do that. It, it's unbelievable, and it and it frustrates me to no end because we've got great guys in the game. The fact that you not everyone knows who Max Scherzer is is so fucking annoying and pardon my language but it just it drives me insane dude to watch my favorite game just fall behind you have some of you have some of the the, the best dudes that you've had in baseball in a long yes. time it's very difficult but part of it is also uh, i and i stand firm i know everybody thought interleague play was a cool thing and I, and i fell into the trap of loving it and it's the novelty of it and all that stuff but i think what happened was that between free agency and between that what you've lost is a lot of the rivalries just the rivalries of baseball Everybody just loves each other. Everybody's like having fun. You hardly any teams hate each other. There's hardly any juice about this stuff. There's juice in the NFL. There's juice in the NBA on some of these teams. There's you, baseball doesn't have that, and it's such a long season. It's very well, difficult. Part of it with the NFL. It. Part of it with the NFL is that you're just killing each other for you, you know, do. But I mean, anybody game. who watched Yankees Red Sox or I was a kid, the Mets Cardinals sure. series. I mean, these were brutal. And I think that the other thing is when you start playing interleague games, you have less. Uh, of those games where you're playing each other and you're playing in the National League, you you you're less chance to develop these rivalries and these hatred. Free agency for teams might like be the bigger issue there, though, because you're you're if you're going to hate somebody, you could be on his team the next so year. The, pro- the problem really is youth development. Kids are it's much easier for or easier for a kid to play basketball growing up if they're poor. Particularly if they're poor, they, yep. All they need mm-hmm. is a basketball and a hoop. For baseball, you have to buy a glove, you have to buy a bat, you have to find nine friends. One football play, provides all the equipment game. too, mm-hmm. because it it can be expensive and if you had to buy everything, but you don't. The school, yeah, but baseball, you can even play in the yard with the ball. You know, football. Everyone just play two has done a really poor job of promoting its own sports in inner cities and in places where other sports are popular, and it's yeah. diluted. It's diluted the game. The RBI has made a dent, but there's a lot more to be done. And like I said, we can do a whole episode. I I think I'm different than you guys because I didn't grow up watching baseball in the same way. But I'm sure you guys are huge baseball fans because you grew up playing baseball. Certainly. I mean, I I played every day in the summer. Um, you know, not I even quite played, on a yeah. sand lot like the movie, but, but I even here. did. We even did. They were, we used to play half a field sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I played uh, all through high second school. Second and I over. Played, where played American Legion. I did all the things. I played my whole life. I played ball. I, had, I remember my mom had like six different uniforms at one time to be washing <laughs> between like my all-star uniform and this uniform and high school ball. And she was like, I don't know. Just grab a pair of pants just, and go just, play. Just, just grab just, it. Yeah, just go. Yeah, I was and, like, uh, okay, they mom. They need to get know. back to that. That's what. That, yeah, that's how you fix it. We we play second and over if we didn't have enough players, and you have to say if you want to go pull, mm-hmm. then you tell them You'd line up on, on that side, or you or you say I'm gonna try to go oppo here, so you tell them to go line up there. But if you went to the other side, you were automatically out. Okay. Um, but yeah, so lots lots of stuff to talk about. I would love Joe to have you back on to do a full state of the game. I think that could be a really interesting pod. But let's dive into the black book. Let's turn it back to fantasy. Hopefully, people didn't mind that tangent there. It was still baseball related, but let's talk black book. Uh, had a great time writing for it again, trying to change some things up with the way I did the pitching because I do really think that the the glob that I talked about last year is even more prevalent. And as I mentioned before, I, I, I really am not trying to point to the glob and talk about that as a way of not committing on players and saying, well, I'll throw my hands up and you guys just pick your guys. But rather to say, you need to have a committed plan when you go into the glob or else you're going to be paralyzed by the choice of it and say, I don't know who the hell to take because all these guys feel the same. So I, I hopefully did a decent job of kind of breaking the, the, the tears down and all that. But let's get the overview of the Black Book before we dive into specifics. 
what is the black book and what the heck is RPV? <laughs> well, first of all, you did more than a good job. You did a great job Thank as you always do. And in the, the glob, by the way, too, you, you, you take guys who have upside, you take guys who have uh, good situations, better ballpark, par, ballpark factors. There's different ways you can, you know, kind of figure out where you're going to put yourself. But really what it comes down to in RPV is if those guys are all potentially negative anyway, then you don't overreach for them. And yeah. what relative position value is, is, is this very simple system where it's more, it's a value-based drafting system, a value-based system, but it's, it's very specific. And in a world where we are so weighed down with all the same, everyone's getting the same metrics, everyone's getting the same information. It's like, well, how do you, how do you stand out? How, what's your unique approach? What can you do to really look at things? And there's so many of these, here's my top 100. Here's my top 300. Here's my top 25, you know, first baseman. Okay. That's great. Like, I'm sure you have an informed opinion. That's awesome. But there needs to be more than just informed opinion. Let's uh, let's let's quantify more than just the informed opinion, and let's try to find like how much better this guy is than the next guy and the next guy. And then what's the fantasy league average of the of a first baseman? And then where's the negative guys? And that's what relative position value does: is it quantifies the value of a player compared to his peers at that position. And you have a very clear drop off, and you start to see now where the negatives are and fantasy sports is about me outproducing you from as many roster spots as I can. If I can do that consistently and no matter what the format is, I'm going to be a very productive fantasy player. And my roster is going to be very productive. And it's about understanding not to pay for the negative just because you need a shortstop still. Well, no, keep building your strength. And uh, well, in this form, similar shortstops, you know, four rounds later, just, just wait. Exactly. And, and it, and it shows you with, with hard, simple math. Why? And just that simple percentage is enough for that you go, oh, well, that's why. And I, I think that's the thing. It's like, is there's so much of this opinion-based ranking stuff. And, and it's great fodder. You can argue it and all that. But I want to give something to people that they can use. And the fact that you can use it in Roto and points leagues and head-to-head formats and anything, that the fact that it's really a, a very strategy-based piece of work. It's not just for drafts. It's for the entire season. There's stuff in there about being the commissioner. There's a whole chapter in there. There's a whole chapter about how to make trades and how to operate in your league and why you don't write someone an essay trying to sell them on a freaking trade. You know, if, it, oh if the trade doesn't speak for itself, yes. then you writing an essay to me isn't going to change anything. If you so- have to write an, a, a whole thing, sell me on a player, and that usually includes crapping on the guy you want. Oh, yeah. This guy's really been crappy hand. for you. You should give I'm him to me. I'm guilty of this. I used to do it when I was younger. And then I finally learned that that was just not the right. But I would be like, yeah, you know, he's, he's struggled in his last five and I'm giving you these great guys. And I remember getting a, a response one time. Well, then why do you want him? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm kind of a dick. Uh, yeah, that's that such yeah. a douchey thing to do. And so I learned from my ways. But there's still plenty of people out there who do that. No, they do. Don't make that mistake. There's a lot of great stuff. It's not just the the player stuff. Right. We uh, have the player profiles. We have 100 prospect profiles this year. Eric Cross did them. Um, you know, it's Jake Seeley, it's Tim Heaney. Tim did a, a whole review about how he won tout wars last year, which I think is a, is a great insight of taking somebody through a season and saying, okay, this was my approach. This is what worked for me. And, you know, Jake Seeley's in there. He won labor last year in tout, you know, Tim Heaney won tout last year in his, in our league that we were in together. So it's, it's a great group of baseball minds in there. Nate Dawkins is in there as well this year. And it's, it's informed opinion, which a lot of the guides and things like that have, but it's so much more because what it is, it's a it's a system that you can use the entire year, whether it be drafting, whether it be evaluating trades, whether it be evaluating waiver wire, and it's an approach and a way of thinking. And I think it really has opened people's eyes up. And some people do it and don't realize they're doing it, and they read it and they go, oh, 
you you've put it in black and white. I understand now what mm. yeah, I've always thought this way, but you've been able to really elaborate on it and tell me why. And I think we're so league specific and we're so uh, format specific. And I think there's not enough of that coverage out there. I think it's it's too vanilla. It's too, as I said earlier, the broad brush where player value isn't always based on talent. It's based on format you're playing in. And cost. And format. Yeah. We talk format, so much about cost. cost, cost. Right. And that's what dictates player value more than necessarily the player's talent. And I think that's where that's why the black book's been so successful in baseball and football the last few years. Yeah, and and I, I get it every year. And uh, I mean, you know, we're we're friends, but uh, we're not that good of friends where I need to keep buying it every year. If, 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 if it's <laughs> Wait a minute, useful, I thought we. Jeez, so. I thought we were good friends. I don't, Paul. What happened? I don't. You know, I, I, Justin's I'll not what a good says, friend. I'll away? text you. I'll text you. Oh, you says. text me the I truth. Still love yeah, I yeah. Still love uh, thanks, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> but give me an example of a batter and a pitcher that RPV has highlighted as a buy for you this year. Uh, that's a great one. I, I, I would. You know, it's it's funny. Last year, I did a whole dissertation on. The little guy, quote unquote, the guys, mm-hmm. it's time to start realizing that the little guys like the Altuve's I, I had a couple years ago at Altuve is the top second baseman. And everyone told me I was nuts. People were throwing Jason Kipnis at me and all kinds of names like, no, 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 you're out of your mind. This is not even close. <laughs> and last year was uh, Jose Ramirez. And last year was Francisco Lindor. And some of these guys that don't fit the profile in your head of guys that carry a fantasy team. And I said, you're going to get these guys in the second round potentially. And they're first round talents and they're potentially even top five talents. And wouldn't you know it next year they were. So I think that was something where statistically relative position value showed that and it was able to highlight that and give you that insight of saying, you know, it's it's not just what they look like. It's more than that. It's it's how productive they are. And it's getting into that and breaking some of the molds Uh, this year when you're going through, you know, Paul did the pitchers. He did a great job last year. Paul gave us Aaron Nola and Garrett Cole, which pretty damn good i mean you should stand up and applaud for that one i mean that was uh i mean that changed a lot of leagues i know for Plotting me it myself, did. there right. you go you also gave us Luis castillo so i mean let's let's yeah but the, second half stand, of castillo was pretty good stand Sec- by it yep. second half of castillo was very good i i think for me uh it is these guys where the theme that i found is the guys that are being undervalued who have enormous talent and are still young it's the guys we talked about at the beginning of the show it's guys like correa it's guys like seager who People were falling all over themselves to draft, and now they have a bad year and nobody wants them. It's it's guys like Joey Votto, who had a down year. But before that, Joey Votto's hitting 30 home runs every year and is an on-base machine, and and I'm just not ready to discard him yet. I know he's yes. 35, but I, I'm not ready to do that. And because RPV numbers don't just work in projections, they take projections, they take the previous season, and then the three-year average when applicable, and then you create a fantasy league number for that player – you create a, a a total and a value for that player. It's a little bit more elaborate and a little bit more, okay, it's not just such a small sample size or what I think is potentially the best case scenario for this year. And I think that's why it kind of brings those players back in and into the discussion where they should be because they've earned it. Joey Votto has earned to have a bad year for us. And I think there's nothing then but uh, possibilities for players like that. And I think that that's, that's what's so helpful. So those are three guys right off the bat that I think are being grossly undervalued that when you dig into again, you go, well, these guys are, are you know, I'm taking all these guys all day long right to the bank because they are productive fantasy players. Joe, I'm curious uh, where you come out on somebody who doesn't have the youth of like the Correa and Seager, but was somebody who was a, such an elite pitcher for such a long time now and then really only had the one truly bad year uh, and, and not even truly bad, truly bad maybe compared to his uh, – 
previously established highs, but Madison Bumgarner, like he wasn't actually bad in 17. So the fact some people are calling it two years, I push back on that. There weren't, there wasn't even that much skills degradation in 17. But last year was a bummer, even with a 3.26 ERA, because you saw the WHIP go up to 124. Strikeouts came down, walks nearly doubled, and so there are some alarming patterns there. But he's still going to be on the right side of 30. For me, I'm having a hard time quitting him. Where do you land on somebody like Madison Bumgarner, and, and how does RPV view uh, where Bumgarner's going right now? Well, I know Justin's going to disagree with me because we already had this on my show. We had this out. I already have a ton of shares of him because this is where the other thing comes into play, where we are numbers-based, but not not so much where you overload it with so many stats that you can't be flexible and make good decisions. I want to be applicable. I want to be adaptable. I want to be able to maneuver around and make good decisions and not get weighted down with too much information. But Madison Baumgartner, from a baseball perspective, has a big contract coming up. And I did a study a couple years ago where I took the top players in Major League Baseball over the decade and how they performed. And most of the time, those top guys on free agent years or years where they had big contract money coming to them, they outperformed their normal level. And Jake Seeley did a study too, but the problem with his was, you know, he his proved the otherwise, but he took all the free agents and did it. And I just took the top percent because I don't really give a crap about the guys who are consistently on one-year deals because they're below average players anyway. So that data, yeah. but that data is crap. That's not going to prove the point. I, don't, I care what Madison Bumgarner is going to do. And if there's one money pitcher out there, it's Madison Bumgarner. I mean, if there's a big game you want to pitch in the last five years, I think that's a guy that you want to point to and go, yeah, that's the guy. And I know Mason's been upset with him. I know you guys were riding dirt bikes together and, you know, having fun <laughs> doing your thing. But I, I think when this year there's if I've been able to consistently so far get him as a SP2. Yeah. And that is right where you want him to be because I'm with you. And if yeah, he, and if that's the value you're getting him at and he's going to perform as a one most of the time. And I, I also think he's going to get dealt at some point in time to a contender. That's, that's another guy that's, where I'm all about. That's the worst part is he's going to get dealt. And when he gets dealt, he's That's not. That's not the worst part. Uh, it is. I don't know. It is. I understand the, the park, park, but it's Madison Bumgarner. This is not and Drew Pomeran. And, and, Drew, or and, Drew, uh, and, uh, and Buster Posey catching for him have hid some of the issues that he's had in the la- since uh, falling off that ATV. He has not been the same pitcher. And yeah, but I think now he's two years removed from that one, true. and I and I think the more time and I think there's certain guys that I'm willing to take a shot on more than others, yep. and I think yep. the the fact that Bumgarner has a track record, the fact that Bumgarner is a guy that has shown in his career pressure is his friend and he thrives in that, and I think he's a guy that kind of needs that extra juice, and the Giants haven't had a lot of juice. And, and to answer your other question too, I gave you a couple bats, I didn't give you the the pitcher, but this year looking at a player like Kevin Gossman who. Last year got moved to Atlanta. Getting out of Baltimore is the best thing that could happen to any pitcher. Uh, it's just a park, but for the way they man. Now they do have a new regime, right. and maybe they'll develop pitching better. Maybe, but their yeah. inability to develop pitching was just as bad as as Camden Yards, to be honest. Well, oh, I mean, they developed pitching. They just didn't develop it. You know, while it was there, Arietta turned out to be a pretty good pitcher. Britain turned out they, to be a pretty good pitcher. Well, uh, Britain became a well. Arietta like, became a good a pitcher when he different. got to the Cubs, and yeah, I don't count that for them. I look, I look at Gossman as a guy where I say, you know, this was a guy that got bumped back and forth between the rotation, mm-hmm. between the bullpen, they he got bounced back and forth between AAA, and and I think it just ruined his confidence. And I think at a certain point, we just leave a kid alone and let him figure it out. And I look at Gossman as one of those guys this year where 
you know, you probably can draft him as a four or something, or maybe even a five, depending on the depth of your league. And I think he has potential to outgrow that. And I think he's a step above a lot of the other young pitchers they have there because he has been around a little bit longer. And I think he has that fast track and I'm not worried about him getting a a starting rotation job and keeping it. I'm, I'm not concerned at all. So that's the kind of pitcher. And I'll tell you what, on the, on the old guy front too, how about Cole Hamels who pitched great when he finally got out of Texas, who was just dreadful. The minute he got to Texas, every number in that ballpark was dreadful for oh, him. Yeah. He's like a he five ERA. With the Cubs. He gets out of there. He's with the Cubs. And again, I'm, he's not free, but I'll be damned if, if you know, he's basically the cost on Cole Hamels right now is so cheap and I'm going to buy you're in everywhere. Say, you're just saying all of Paul's guys right now. That's like, well, but you know what? But Paul and I thought Paul and Paul and I had a lot of similar discussions last year about Garrett Cole. And then he showed me the Scherzer comparison up until the same time. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I feel. And my whole baseball take was on it was this was a guy that was going to have to not be the guy anymore. He was going to finally get a chance to be in a rotation where he wasn't looked to as the stopper, as the guy at the front of the yeah. rotation. And, and ironically, it was Verlander who was going to take that role in the same. He did the same thing for Scherzer and the no pressure on him. And he blossomed into what Scherzer's become and what Garrett Cole became. And it's ironic that there's Verlander who did it for both guys. But because Ver- Verlander is a god. Right. And Ver- Verlander is a god. And that is that's some of those intangible baseball things that I think the black book brings to that discussion. You know, this conversation we had earlier about Whit Merrifield, right? Like. That whole thing is like, wow, that's a cool deal. He's definitely getting dealt. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> where, where you start to talk about how does real baseball affect fantasy, too? I think there's a yep. lot of that kind of coverage in the book. Uh, okay, let's get negative then. Let's go on oh, the other right. side here and talk about yeah. RPV. Like, I uh, haven't been negative enough already. <laughs> well, let's continue the negative. Let's right up your alley. <laughs> let's talk about a batter and pitcher that RPV is, is spot, uh, shining a spotlight on to say, you don't want to get here. Given their ADP, you don't want to pay this premium because either there's a lot of more players like them that are available later or the fact that they're just not that good. You know, let's go with that on uh, hitter and pitcher. Uh, you know, for me, the pitcher, it's Strasburg. And, you know, it's it's difficult because it's, bummer, but it's true. It's a bummer, but it's true. And you know, I, I saw somebody, one of one of my Twitter guys put a post a thing about uh you know, he has the same number of 200 inning seasons as Shelby Miller. And that makes me sad. That makes me, my heart hurt. And, and, you know, you don't think about that, one, but you go, right? Oh, right. That, I just, I just one. bummed out the whole show. I just, yeah. uh, yeah. So there and you I go. I love Shelby Miller, but like, obviously I understand his shortcomings, yeah. uh, through and through. And, and the fact is Strasburg, he still basically costs SP one. And, and, and he is an SP two in RPV. And it's because of the limited amount of starts where, yeah, in season-long roto, you can get away with that a little bit, but when you're talking about overall pitching value, it's it's difficult to take him over guys, you know, even the upside of a younger guy, like, and maybe I'm too bullish, or maybe you're too bullish on Walker Bueller, I don't know, but I look at that kid and say, that's the next coming of the next group of pitchers that are going yep. to lead us in fantasy, and Strasburg is this guy now that he's 30 years old, and it makes me feel old that he's 30. <laughs> Because we remember watching him come up. That, uh, uh, what was it, like 14 against strikeouts Pittsburgh, against yeah. Pittsburgh? It was incredible. Guys, you so know, exciting. Ju- you know. Uh, Justin brought up something earlier with regards to the Seager-Correa thing. I'm not going back to that completely. But talking about how when they miss the time, it's missed time. It's locked in. You replace them. Mm-hmm. The bummer with Strasburg, the annoyance with Strasburg, is that so many start stops. You know, he comes out after one yeah. inning on a Tuesday. You lost that whole week. 
You know, right. he comes back when you didn't expect it on a Thursday. You miss the six inning, the six shutout innings that he got. And it's just so damn frustrating that you don't even get to get that replacement value or get him in when he does come back. And that adds to it. Rich Hill's another guy like that, obviously, to a, a lower degree because he's not as expensive and we kind of know it going in. But that's another major frustration with Strasburg. So I totally agree there that as much as I've liked watching him pitch and I, I would love to see him have a great second act into his thirties. I can't put him on my fantasy teams with, and you mentioned Bueller and Bueller is getting the fantasy playoff tax going through the roof. I get it. I would rather pay that, that one-to-one I'd rather pay for Bueller and take that risk on than Strasburg. Um, meanwhile, I'm probably just going elsewhere with like a Jameson Tyon, David Price. Right. Uh, oh, and Tyon's above Strasburg too, from a relative position standpoint. He's he's good. a low end SP one. Good. Strasburg I have as a high end two and percentages. I think Strasburg is a plus six percent. Now people say, what does that mean? Well, that means that you know most people have, and and this is another reason why you'll see some value based systems, but they're not as specific because most teams are going to have an SP one in your league. Most teams are going to have an SP two. Uh, mm-hmm. So how much better is a player compared to other SP ones? That's what you want to know. How you got to group them all together as a cluster, and then they take the top twelve or top sixteen of those. Same thing. Like he's a Strasburg is a positive SP two, but not by much. He's only by single digits. So if there's not a lot of of wiggle room there, then why would you reach? And I'll tell you what, you might not like this answer, some people, but Christian Yelich is one that it's tough on, and he's tough. I know, I know. Right Everything was all roses until I said this, but no wonder hit, Justin hates you. He hits. <laughs> yeah, I, well, this is great. I made him mad about Bumgarner and made you mad about Yelich. Everyone's winning. Uh, he had 22 home runs over the last two months, and that is a phenomenal run. I think that's a lot to ask. I think it's also a lot to ask that all of a sudden you're going to marginalize that over six months, where he's just going to be consistently. Uh, somehow able to reach that total. I'm not saying Yelich isn't a really good fantasy player. He is. Mm. I'm just not ready to anoint him in that group of J.D. Martinez, of you know, of, of that kind of I mean, it is one year that we've seen, right? It was an amazing year. It was an MVP year. Right. Doesn't really have anywhere to go but down, even if it's marginal. It, it, and that's the whole like point. A top seven it's, pick, and if he finishes 20th, you, you lost a little bit. And I, and I talk about this saying, you know, you wouldn't call him a bust. Um, it, when you're drafting your first round guy, you're buying a floor too, and they might hit that floor. But if that floor is is they were the 20th best hitter, and you bought them as the sixth hitter off the board, that did not ruin your season. You you don't say, well, if Yelich had been number six, I, I would have won. No, you wouldn't have. Your 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 season went much more awry than that. Uh, it's never just one player uh, that you can pinpoint. And so I I get that with Yelich. He he does have to kind of you got to bake in some regression. It was just and such we're a big on brilliant splits. season. The the profiles are really big on splits, lefty righty, uh, home road, uh, first and second half. I like to break down players that way, and you'll see a lot of the profiles where you know at the end it'll say this guy's just better in, for DFS. You know you'll see some of the profiles. Ed, mm-hmm. this guy is death in head to head formats of all kinds. He's just way too inconsistent, and I think there's not enough of that in the industry sometimes where you see that and you you see uh, a player profiles and stuff, but they don't give you enough of a, a, a direction with them. Like where, where do you want to own this guy? I mean, some guys you want to own everywhere cause they're just awesome. But the yeah, Yelich thing those, is this those guy, the first couple round picks though. And, and if, and if Yelich does come back to earth, which I think he will, it's, it, it's just one of those things where how many guys hit 22 home runs in two, in two months? I mean, that is just an absurd number. And I know Milwaukee is a great home run ballpark. Believe me, I get it. Prince Fielder had a great run. So did mm-hmm. Brian Braun. At a certain point, I think that's a lot to ask. And I remember Chase Headley one year had an incredible oh run. 
It, right. He had a big run. Yeah. Like that 28 and, and homers or something, 32 homers. He I had can't like remember 13 what it was. home runs, I think, in, two, in a month and, and change or something like that. And it completely warped his fantasy value for the next two years of people not really realizing exactly what Headley was. And Yelich is a far better player, but I'm making another 19 point. 19 homers in August Nin- and September combined. There was. There was. That's Headley season. Nine. That, that's it. 19. I remember, I remember. It was one of the months 13. I think it was one like absurd month. It was, it was a 10 and 9. And it, But it's okay. to your point, though. There was 21 in August and September for Yelich. And like you're saying, Yelich has a higher floor. He's a better player. But it is that concentrated performance. It's not like Yelich was bad before those two months, no. but that really sent him to the next it's level. It's a magical run. It's he a magical probably, run. You know, if he extrapolates what he did through July for another two months and just has that season, he's probably like fourth or fifth in the MVP. He is a, a second second rounder, maybe third rounder in some drafts. He elevated himself into the first round, won the MVP, went off. And it is fair to say, well, he's going to come off of that a bit. He's probably not going to lead the NL in batting average, slugging, and OPS again. I think that that's that's definitely very fair. Um, Justin, I want to bring you in on these two that we've talked about now for a little bit of the negative on RPV on Strasburg and Yelich. Obviously, they're a bit different. I think there's not as much risk with Yelich, even though you're saying bring him down a little bit. And there's, of course, the risk with Strasburg. How do you feel about those two players starting with Strasburg? Ooh, starting with Strasburg, I... Strasburg burnt me really bad one year, uh, so I, I have a hard time going Join back. The party. Yeah, so well, it was the, uh, what year was it? It was it was the first year of the Barf League. So I want to say it was 2016. He was off to a fantastic start, really, really pitching well. Uh, I was dominating that league and hitting, and needed some pitching, and so I traded I traded Paul Goldschmidt for for Steven Strasburg straight up, uh, and ended up he ended up getting hurt and being like done for the year or something Barf. like that, like the next week. Uh, it was, it was pretty, pretty uh, awful for me. You, you didn't enjoy that? No, that... no. Okay. End up finishing so. like third in the league or something like that. Uh, it, the hard part is one, his price has come down from where it's been in, in previous years. He, thankfully he's going outside of like the top 15 starting pitchers. I want to say mm-hmm. he's currently like 18th, uh, the 18th starting pitcher on NFBC right now. The problem is the names you guys mentioned in terms of other guys going around him. Uh, I'll take Jameson Tyon. I'll take Mike Clevenger. I'll, I'll take Jack Flaherty. Uh, and I, because I feel a little bit more confident that I'm going to get more innings uh, out of them throughout the entire year. Love the skills. Uh, it's not a skills-based issue. And if you have been a Strasburg guy, guy in the past – I think you have to love where he's going in drafts, comparatively speaking, to where you've had to take him in previous seasons. Sure. I don't know that I want to take that kind of injury risk with my first two starting pitchers. Yeah, I think that that's that's completely fair. You know, we talked about it, again, going back one more time to the Seager Correa thing. What if you could get guarantee them X amount? Of course, if you could guarantee Strasburg 200 innings, but that's a fantasy world. I don't think it's so much fantasy world with Correa and Seager. I think it's a lot easier to envision them getting to their 200 plus, uh, to, to their 600 plus plate appearances. Whereas he hasn't I had just, 180 innings since 2014. I just don't think, yeah, there's no real reason to think that it's something that's going to happen with Strasburg. That's the tough like, part. All the projection systems, except for ATC have him projected at 177 innings, which is a market. Like I said, he hasn't hit since 2014. Like, yeah. I don't think that's a fair projection. 
No, yeah, the highest. And all the DL things, and all the problems where he becomes an issue, like you pointed out, where I think he's been on the DL something staggering like twelve times in his career. I, I yeah, want to say don't the even, number's twelve. You don't even so, get all the innings. That's probably right. the you, most. You don't get all the innings, part. but you also you you also are he's in a deficit because the replacement value of a guy like Strasburg, where you have to draft him, is is very difficult. Yep. And and the deeper the league, the more difficult it is to take a, a risk like that. Because it's one thing that, you know, if you're in a 10 team league and you take Strasburg and you're like, whatever, I mean, because then the replacement value on the waiver wire, you maybe have a little bit more. But when you're in a 15 team league, taking Strasburg is like a death sentence, I think. Yeah. Well, and I think part of the issue that kind of goes along with the the Christian Yelich thing is, and what Paul was mentioning is, like, if your first round pick or your first three round picks don't perform to what you thought they would do, it's not killing you. What, what, what happens is your first three-round picks is like the foundation of your house. As long as it's somewhat stable, you can build a championship team on that foundation. But when those those foundations have complete cracks or fall apart, it's and really just hard. Missing. Yeah, yeah Strasburg really is like pouring a foundation made of Kool-Aid. Exactly. Like, that's, that's, that's the problem cool. with Strasburg. <laughs> like, Yelich, I, I understand, like, he's probably going to regress a little bit, but he's he's – at worst, going to be a very, very good player. Yep, and exactly. There, there are two Strasburg different stories is, here with yeah, uh, Strasburg and Strasburg at worst, Well, and that's uh, the thing I'm just trying to point out with Yelich is that it's it's not that he's not a good player. It's that what you saw last year, the run he had, put those overall numbers. And this is why you can look at stats and and you know when you start digging into the month by month and you see what happens. And it's such it's such an anomaly to have that kind of a run. Where Yelich has, has never really shown that before, and and look, uh, no, I would love for him to continue that kind of pace. That'd be awesome. I, I'm all about it, but it's just it's not something you can bank on, and it's something you've really got to understand. And and if you're playing in a league with three active outfielders, it's no, there's no reason to reach for a guy like Yelich. If you're playing in a league with five active outfielders in your league, that's different because that becomes the scarce position. Outfield, when you you know multiply it times twelve plus the DH slash utility spot that's probably going to come from outfield plus the guys who qualified outfield that play other positions that are playing other positions on other teams, you're going 75, 80 deep, and there's only ninety active outfielders oh, at, at a given time. So it it becomes again, people say position scarcity. What does it mean? Well, it means depending upon what your league is. If you're in a five active outfield or fifteen team league, outfield is scarce. Catcher sucks everywhere. You know, it's, it's, that's not the scarce position because there's nowhere to get an advantage, really. It's outfield that becomes scarce. And then then you can take a chance on a guy like Yelich, and I think it's fine. But if there's only three active outfielders in your league, you can get by with other productivity from other guys. I find outfield scarce most years in five in five outfield. Oh, absolutely. Leagues. You'll see me hit it hard all the time. Uh, and outfield. yeah, you know, I think it plays mind games on some folks, though, because you see all the superstar talent and don't fully compute that everyone needs five and like you said we'll pick some of the outfield eligible players for other positions as right. well and so you just kind of uh, mind game yourself into thinking no no this is this is deep and it's like it's really not you really have to give it a, a closer look um all right well justin do you have any other questions here for joe on I, I with regards last, to the black book i have one last question joe let's hear uh what was your favorite interview of all time my favorite interview of all time. Well, that was absolutely last week with you on the great uh, fantasy baseball invitational podcast, which was which was awesome. I wasn't prepared it was for great. it. I I was. Do you actually you listen to it, Paul? Yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I I just I wasn't expecting it. I was you know it became like a big 
uh, you know, kind of where, where this it's is your life. Thera- Joe yeah, Sophia. It's a therapy yeah. session. It was, but it was, it was very therapeutic. It really was. And, and it was awesome. It was terrific. And, and I think you asked some great questions and I think I, I gave some surprising answers to some things that I never thought about. And I think it was a productive, it was a productive podcast from the sense of people who are thinking about getting in the industry or people who are writing in the industry or trying to work. And, uh, it's, I think it's always better when we have a conversation, right? I, I think fantasy sports should be a conversation of ideas. It's why I have Justin on my show. Yeah, yeah, he's got a book out too. So what? It's it's you know it, this is a conversation of ideas and and the better ideas should win out, not because I have a bigger website than somebody else and or I have more cash to put out. I want it to be a conversation of ideas and and if we have a good conversation of ideas, then we've elevated and helped everybody else be better at fantasy. And fantasy is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be something that we enjoy. That we're that it's it's a pastime for us. It's how we watch the games now it's how we interpret sports so if we can enhance people's uh enjoyment of that i'm all about it and i think that uh yeah it was it was great fun and yes justin it's the favorite i i've written it in black and white my yes. favorite interview I've raved, ever done. I, I just, about I just it. wanted to get it the great. audio so that way i could no you got it cut it, it up it. and, and, and we're gonna have to flip it because we're gonna do uh maybe next week we're gonna yes. do where i interview justin behind the beard mm-hmm Behind the beard. The oh, behind be the beard. Yes. And we are still going to have you back uh, to we got to do the state of the game podcast. I love that idea. Oh, but I, I got an idea going to knock your socks point, off for point, August. Point league. Joe is a point league guru. He was. He yeah. was. I think he was coaching half of the head to head tout wars last year. <laughs> Only the <laughs> ones that did well. We need to have him in. Um, we are. We are going to bring you back again before the season starts to talk. Uh, point league specifically head to head because that is your forte and we will get into it hopefully the market has settled more you can tell us if there are any rpv changes although as you mentioned earlier there there won't be super massive shifts uh for all those guys that are available um let's finish it off with where can you get the black book well paul spore you can get uh, paul's fantastic work in the black book and everybody else's contributions over on amazon you can get the paperback version uh you can get it for kindle you can also get it on itunes uh, the paperback is fun, though, because you uh, I make sure I print it on the paper where you can highlight stuff and yes. make notes and stuff, not like the magazine paper. That's a specific thing because I think that's how people want to be able to do stuff. They want to write notes or make a, make a notation here and if there. If you're buying it, that's what – yes, that's exactly yeah. what you want, to put different notes in and, and have that tangible feel for it. I completely agree, and the glossy magazine paper looks nice and all, but it – A, costs more, and B, you can't actually get in there – especially with your highlighter, it's going to smudge right off. So that's annoying. There's so many places to get it. Like we said, there's the RPV in there. There's your five biggest questions, which you always do. The player caps for every position. Top 100 prospects. I love the most overrated, most underrated teams that we did. That was a lot of fun this year with reasoning, too. It's one thing to just give the names, but to actually right. say, yo, here's what. And it's just a quick hit. And to see the crossover, a, right? Like the yes. people who like sometimes the same names crop up. And I think that's very telling. And we don't we don't get in on that. Everyone does theirs and then submits them to me. And so nobody sees what the other person wrote. And it's very telling. And I think that's that's what makes it cool, because you have all these these opinions. And sometimes they overlap and sometimes they don't. There was one position where the same guy on the overrated uh, was for literally everybody but one person. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Five out of the uh, four out of the five, I should say. And so, yeah, there's just a ton of stuff in there. I I definitely recommend I'm right here. No, what? you're no, you're underrated. You're terrific. You're remarkably underrated. Remarkably underrated. But we try to we try to get you back to the overrated by by pumping you out there. 
Um, you're doing amazing work, Justin. I keep telling you that. Stop calling me crying in the middle of the night asking if you're doing well. <laughs> but I, I also, like I said, I love the section on the being the commish. That's very important. Stuff like that. Um, it's not easy. And being the commish does matter. I think some people take the job and they don't it's the think it's like really a job. It is the worst, but it you can have be to the worst. Right. If you're going yeah. to if you're going to take it, you have to take it seriously and keep the leagues going, particularly the the best leagues have a great commissioner because they run it. And, um, you know, I've had commissioner duties in the past where I've been bad and I need to be better at it. And I've had ones where I've put together what I think was a fantastic league. So great learning experience there, Joe. Love having you on. We'll have you on again in uh, late Feb, early March to really dive in on head to head point strategies and everything. And then maybe talk about a few guys who have uh, finally signed. Where can people find you out on uh, out on the Web outside of the Black Book? Oh, well, on the Twitter machine at Joe Pizapia 17 and of course, on the podcast, the fancy Black Book. With myself, the Welsh, and Scott Black. Bogman, that is a good time. I, if, if if you like fantasy sports discussion, baseball and football, and you like to laugh, that is your show. We are our, we are three idiots. That's what we are. Our interview with Bogman and the Welsh, Justin and mine, uh, was one of our best rated. We we got a lot of a lot. Well, of they asked me. They that. said, "Who do you want to do a show with?" And I said, "There's only two guys, and this is these are the guys, and I want to go get them." And we've known each other for a long time, and. It's 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 exactly what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a, a again a conversation, right? But we make fun of each other, we mock each other. Nothing goes, nothing is allowed to slip by that anyone screws up at any point in time. And yet we still get really good information and really good discussions out there. We get some good guests too. So uh, yeah, Fantasy I, Black Book is out on iTunes, the show, and everywhere else you can get podcasts. If you're listening to the Bogman and the Welsh and you're not laughing during it, I just I don't know what's oh, going it's on. Insane. If I mean, you're not we, enjoying we, yourself. We had a whole thing where we just went off on that Ray Liotta Chantix commercial a couple episodes ago. Where I, <laughs> where I just started doing my Ray Liotta and I had the Chantix and we were doing all this stuff. And as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And we were just going on and it's just we just lost. And now nobody can – everyone who watches or listens to the show, they can't see that commercial and not like laugh. They said it's the funniest thing. <laughs> we did a whole segment. We just We just lose our mind and we just go places. But we always bring it back for the content. So sports entertainment, that's what we do. Well, go check that out, Joe. Thank you so much for joining us. Folks, go out, get the Black Book. You're not only supporting uh, everyone who worked there, but you're also supporting me. So if you do like that's me, right. all, most people don't, um, you can you can actually – They at least respect you. Well, you know what? That works. That works. Go. Even if you don't like me, you can respect me. But thank you, thank you so much, Joe. We will talk to you again in a few weeks. Justin, I'll talk to you later this week. You guys have a good one.